somebody asked me last night if I, if, if I knew Irish, Gaelic, and I said, oh yeah, I learned everything through Irish except English. So I'll give you a small sample of the Irish language. Boganomic shule kushnahown and bonshakur, sundruka traum, inakinagail she gain on thlave, gan marig, gan moil les oilshun lay. It's just walking by a lake and the dew is coming. But in Irish it seems um, richer, perhaps. There is a, a poem of Yeats's, uh, which I will paraphrase lest I get it wrong and one of my friends corrects me. It's a poem to a woman he loved, Maud Gone, who was both a living person who spurned him, naturally, uh, all poetry comes from spurning, or at least a great deal of it does. She spurned him, but she remained his muse. And the poem is about his spreading, his making embroidered cloths of many colors, the blue and the half blue and the violet and so on, and laying them under her feet for fear, in order to make her walk more as if she's on air, I suppose. But he gives a warning at the end of the poem. He says, tread softly, you tread on my dreams. When I was growing up, and even now when I am growing old, the world of literature, language, poetry, story, and myth were my food and drink. They still are. Not that I don't take the, the odd other kind of food and drink. And I think the imagination and danger to be able to go into the tunnel of whatever it is our work is. In fact, to be maverick, in fact, to be alone. It is very nice to be accepted. It is nice perhaps to have power, but that isn't the place the imagination uh, flourishes in. About eight years ago, going on nine, in this country, in my own county, County Clare, where I first had shenanigans and where the shenanigans are once again at an all-time high, the following thing happened in a forest. The forests contain many, many things, as we've just heard, and they continue to. A young man who was deranged, and who had had an appalling childhood and had been in institutions from the age of about 11 or 12. Institutions that he ran away from, that he was recaptured, and where, of course, he was brutalized. And brutality, as we all know, and abuse breeds brutality and abuse. He vowed that he would come back to the parish, the village that he was brought up in. And as he put it, he would paint the town red. As fate ordains these things, or the fates in Greek mythology, or the gods, in that very same small village when he returned, there had come a young woman, radiant, with a child. And she moved into a cottage in the woods, not the forest of the title of my book, but another wood. County Clare is full of lakes and woods. 
She moved in there, and this young man first saw smoke coming out of a chimney from an empty or formerly empty cottage that he used to, as they put it, doss down in. He not only sees that it's inhabited, which infuriates him, but he sees the living mythic thing, a woman and a child, the thing he himself, because his own mother had died on him, as he put it, the thing he coveted, and he began to fashion fantasies of many kinds, I would imagine, about this woman. And one day, one morning, she never locked her doors, she comes down into her kitchen, and the young man is there saying, you don't remember me, too bad, you've lost the plot, and so on, zany conversation. And he obliges her to go out to her car, which is a couple of fields away from the house, with the child, brought her to a forest, the forest, and um, nobody knows how long in time elapsed, but the woman and the child were killed. No connection was made between uh, the young man who was rampaging in motor cars, burning motor cars, threatening people. No connection was made between her disappearance and the man because he had engendered fear in everyone, including the guards. Fear that he was turned almost into a supernatural creature, that he could fly, that he could walk through walls and so on. And a few nights uh, later, the young man uh, went to a parish some 20 miles away and at gunpoint took a priest and brought the priest to the forest. It is not known, because they are now all dead, whether he brought the priest to the forest to give some kind of extreme unction or delayed extreme unction, but uh, the priest was also shot. I didn't write this story when it happened, and I didn't even think that I wanted to write this story. But it so came about that I then wanted to, and for it, I am having plenty of punishment, a little fiercer than before. I want to read, if I may, the first uh, page of this in the forest, and then, because this talk has bewildered me utterly, if there is time for a question or two, I would welcome that very much. And the reason why I want to read it is to ask you, or to ask the world, or for that matter, to ask God, is it justifiable, the transmutation of awful reality, because what I am now accused of, ex exploitation, and I believe in the transmutation, but uh, you can be the judge as well. Woodland, straddling two counties and several townlands. A drowsy corpus of green, broken only where the odd pine has stuck up on its own, spindly, freakish. The stray twigs on either side branched cruciform-wise. In the interior, the trapped wind gives off the rustle of a distant sea and the tall slender trunks of the spruces are so close together that the barks are a sable brown, the light becoming darker and darker into the chamber of non-light. At the farthest entrance, under the sweep of a brooding mountain, there is a wooden hut choked with briars and brambles, where a dead goat 
decomposed and stank during those frantic, suspended and sorrowing days. It was then the wood lost its old name and its old innocence in the hearts of the people. Eily, the widow woman, did not join in that search when the men and women set out with their dogs and their sticks clinging, clinging to the last vestiges of hope. Yet she dreams of it. Dreams she is in Cluche Wood, running back and forth, calling, calling to those search parties whom she cannot reach. The tall trees no longer static, but moving like giants, giants on their grotesque and shaggy roots, their green needly paws reaching out to scratch her. And she wakens in a sweat, unable to scream the scream that has been growing in her. Then she gets up, goes into her kitchen to boil milk. She looks at the sheen of dark beyond her picture window, the plants, geraniums and cacti, limp in their sleepiness, looks at her big new brass lock bright as a casket. And then she comes fully awake. And as she tells it again and again, Eile, the dead woman with her long hair, walks towards her and says, why, why didn't you help me? The Kendershrik, she answers back, the Kendershrik, and with her raised arm tries to blot out the woman's gaze, the light of the eyes, a broken gold, like candles puttering out, the Kendershrik. That's what the German man called him when he stole the gun. And before that, he was Mitchin after a saint, and then Mitch, his mother's pet, and then boy, when he went to the place, and then child, when Father Damien had him helping with the flowers and the cruets in the sacristy. And then Kay, short for O'Kane, when his hoodlum times begun. Now, one of the things I have been asked in relation to In the Forest is why I did not make it uh, a non-fiction book, a book of reportage. And I have uh, every respect for reportage. But I felt that the freedom that fiction or poetry or drama gives one is able to search out and hopefully distill the emotional truth the emotional sap of the story. Years ago, I saw a film by Fassbender, the German director. It was called The Marriage of Maria Braun. And Maria Braun goes to visit somebody in prison whom she, in fact, is responsible for having put there. And he says to her, how is it out in the world now for emotion? She said, it is not a good time out in the world for emotion. I'm afraid I feel the same, only even more so. And while it is wonderful to have success and um, material happiness and many another thing, let us never forget that we are filled with emotions that we sometimes admit to and we sometimes repress. But it is something we all seek both in ourselves and, I hope, in each other. Thank you very, very much. Right.
two questions. I am told by my boss that there is time for two questions, and I uh, hope there will be. May yes. I? Uh, yeah. uh, Robert Spiglis, University of Latvia, Latvia. Uh, as I listened to your reading, I wonder, uh, was there a role of literature of Aldous Huxley in your life? And if it was, what was it? Aldous Huxley, did you say? Yes. No, <laughs> the Grimm brothers uh, were in my, Aldous Huxley I have read, but he is a completely different, Aldous Huxley is a much more cerebral and uh, for want of another word, uh, a, a, a logical writer. Aldous Huxley uh, would, I think, he's not here to debate it, would chart, chart out what he wants to do. I like writing that springs totally from the unconscious, from the same area of the brain, which no doubt I could be told uh, where it is, as, as, as dreaming comes from. Another question? Well. Chris Howard, uh, Harvard Business School. Uh, who do you feel like as a writer your responsibility is to? Is it to the art and the purity of the art form? Is it to you and your own introspection, circumspection? Is it to the community you live in? Or is it to some sort of public good? I love this question. I wish we could stay for an hour and talk about it. The fourth one, it cannot be to your public. Because who is your public? They are so many, they're so varied, they're so variable. It is nice to be eventually read or accepted by your public. When you said, is it to your art or is it to yourself? Those were two, you said those words. They are, in a sense, inseparable. If one has or is filled with the obsession to make out of language a tapestry, a story. So that self and art are, are one and the same. But years ago, I read something that I took as a, as a small uh, catechism for my working and writing life. It was, it's by Kierkegaard, and the essay was called Purity of Heart. And he talked about the fact that what is done must have the purity of it itself, and then time and people, and very often critics, are the immediate judges. But the self that does it, does it in secret. It's a se Kafka called writing a criminal action. To some extent, I think I believe him, because you see, people don't like dark stories. People don't like ugly stories. People say to me, you come from Ireland. You come from such a Celtic tiger, from such a prosperous country. Yes, it is prosperous now, but these stories are also part of the moral, cultural, religious, historical background. So when I have finished something, I hope I have written something that is not just for myself, but for the world around me. And again, I thank you and I thank the Academy for inviting me here yet again. And we will have more, many more 